We are having such an important conversation in a series that we're calling Deja Vu, Hope on Repeat. And um, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you woke up this morning, that's God's way of telling you. There are people he wants you to share the hope of his son with. I'm going to say it again. If you woke up this morning, that's God's way of telling you. There are people he wants you to share the hope of Jesus Christ with. Pretty much anything else you can think about is better in heaven. No, I woke up to make more money. I'm telling you, heaven is a place where you won't need straight cash. It's better there. Like, I woke up, it's about the relationships in my life. There is a place where the relationships are perfect, and it's a place called heaven. No, I woke up so I could worship him. There is a place where worship is uninterrupted, never ceasing, and it's a place called heaven. If you're a believer and you woke up this morning, it's because there's the great work that cannot be done in heaven, and it's the work of sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with those in our world. There are um, 43 thousand five hundred some odd folks in our own county in our own backyard who are considered unreached who don't know the person of Jesus have never experienced his full and free forgiveness and the eternity is bleak and yet God wakes us up and calls us as a church to share his hope with the folks in our world and we want to say yes to that and if you woke up this morning and you don't know Jesus guess what that's his way of telling you, I want you to know him. Um, we've been talking about this uh, because I don't know that uh, many of us disagree with the fact that God has called us to share hope with the folks in our world. I think the question is often, but how do I do it though? How do I do it? Because this is something he calls all of us to do, not just the professionals, not just like we'll send them to church and the people in church will talk about Jesus. No, he calls all of us to, to share um, his, his son. And the question oftentimes is how do we do it, which is what we're talking about in this series. Uh, my name is Kondo. I'm super rude. I'm sorry if I don't know you. I get to serve as one of the pastors here um, at Mission Point and thrilled to be having this conversation as we wrestle through how do we share the hope of Jesus and what you find as you study the scripture is there is no one way to do it. <laughs> Almost every time the gospel is shared in the scriptures, it's shared differently. I used to think like, oh, there's a way. And if I can learn the way, then I'll be able to do it a little bit better and more effectively. But the truth is there's so many different ways to do it. And this morning, we are going to look at one in which Jesus himself shares hope with somebody. And he shares it in a way that I think all of us can grab a hold of and emulate in the world around us. If you have a copy of the Bible, um, meet me in John chapter 4. Um, John chapter 4 in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be looking at a super funky story. Um, one of my favorite gospel sharing stories. Um, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, no worries. We would love to get one in your hand if you don't own one, but the verses will come up here on the screen and you can follow along um, that way. But again, if you don't own a physical copy, head to the connection corner right outside those back doors, our gift to you. All right. Funky story incoming. John chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees, these super powerful religious leaders, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than 
John, their hero. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples who baptized. Verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Because sometimes, even when you're right, I I just want to say this. You need to just throw up the deuces and walk away from drama. Sometimes. Sometimes the opportunities God has for you lie on the other side. Just get away from the drama. Which family member is spending more time with which family member and, and who's getting more likes and who's... Just walk away. I love that Jesus starts this scene by walking away. Some of the drama may be keeping you from where you need to go. So throws up the deuces and he leaves Judea and he heads to Galilee. Verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria. That's just John's way of saying Jesus felt led. Jesus felt deeply compelled to go through the region of Samaria on his way. Now, it's really interesting that if you punch um, the coordinates into your Google Maps app, it will tell you the quickest way from Judea to Galilee is through Samaria. It's the quickest route. However, as we learned last week from Pastor Jeff, there was so much beef and drama between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. And so even though it was the quickest route to go from, you know, Judea to, 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 to Galilee through Samaria, the Jews would be like, not a chance I'm going to hang out with Samaritans. And they would walk two extra days just to go around Samaria. That was what most of the Jews would do to avoid the tension with the Samaritans. Jesus, apparently, he's not into the whole taking sides thing, so he just takes his freaked out disciples through Samaria. (laughs) They're questioning his decision-making, I'm sure, at this particular point in time, because that's where he feels led and compelled to go by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but maybe his next assignment for you is with the people you've been avoiding. (laughs) the people you've been skirting around. You know that cubicle at work, you're like, "Mm -mm, I'm going past the women's restroom just so I don't have to deal with Chuck. That may be where it is. Just saying. Um, Verse 5. So he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Now, this was interesting. No, No lie. I didn't know this. Like, I knew that Jacob gave his son, like, a coat of many colors. Um, I didn't know he had given him land. Like, no wonder his brothers were salty. No wonder they hated him. Dad gave him everything. Didn't know this, but apparently dad gave Joseph land, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Um. Now, in Jesus' day, this well would have become a really common gathering place. As people came to draw water, it became a place where people just connected with each other. It was often just buzzing with life and conversation. And it also became a place where beef just wasn't a thing like It was a common place where there wasn't a lot of tension or a lot of drama. In fact, um, as history would unfold, uh, the Jews claimed this spot eventually uh, 
at times Muslims claim this spot, Christians claim this spot, Samaritans claim this spot. Apparently, Jacob wasn't a polarizing figure. He, 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 you know, and so this place, even in future years, would become a place that the Jews didn't claim ownership to, Samaritans didn't claim ownership to. Uh, but even in Jesus' day, there was something about this place that became like a common uh, gathering place. So Jesus leaves the beef. Um, and he heads into this place and he chooses to stop at this common um, gathering, neutral spot located in enemy territory. While he was there, verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from Jacob's well. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? In other words, would you draw some water out of the well and let me drink some? His disciples had gone into town to buy food at that point. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, and I like her. I, I wish I knew her name. One of my daughters would have a name change instantly. I like her. She said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in parentheses, in case we missed it, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. <laughs> Such a beautiful exchange, by the way. At first glance, it sounds like this woman is being super snooty in speaking to Jesus. Like, um, why are you even talking to me right now? Right? Or, like, um, from what I can see, you have your own hands. Why don't you get yourself your own water? What do you think this is, the 1950s? B.C., you know, of course. Um, she sounds like she's really snippy with Jesus. But it's interesting. It's not actually snootiness. It is shock. She is shocked. I have lived at least a couple of decades, and I can safely say no Jewish man has ever engaged me in conversation like this. Now, I hear the slurs. I hear the derogatory terms. I hear the labels thrown in my general direction. But no Jewish man has spoken to me with dignity and spoken to me with humanity. Why are you even talking to me? You're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. She is shocked that Jesus sees her humanity and treats her with value and treats her with dignity. And I'm telling you, this should be the church. This should be Jesus' people constantly. It's so sad that it would be a shock to so many, but this should be the church. The church should be a movement of people who are constantly entering in and returning dignity and speaking to people with value, regardless of who they are, regardless of whatever other label has been placed on them before. We should be the folks who show up and people should be like, why are you talking to me? I've heard about you church people, or maybe you don't know my sexual orientation. Why are you speaking to me? I heard your people don't talk to my people because of the way my people vote and your people vote. So why are we even speaking right now? And why are you speaking to me kindly? And why are you speaking to me with such dignity and with such value? Maybe you don't know my marital status. 
Maybe you haven't heard about my criminal record. No, I've heard. What's up? How was it? It was rough, man. But why are we speaking? This should be the people of Jesus. Man, it was sad. Somebody reached out to me just a couple of weeks ago and said, um, I'm wondering if you would sit down with us. We're newish to the community, and um, we're Muslim. And we've tried to reach out to a number of different folks, and especially the churches, the Christians, just won't talk to us. They won't engage us. And we're just wondering if you'd be open to a conversation. And I'm like, what? Why? Oh, in case you thought this was just a Jew and Samaritan thing. No, we have our own beef with different kinds of people and different kinds of labels. But this should be the the, the place where folks just break down walls and remove labels and see the value and the image of God and the dignity on people and engage them. She's shocked. So much so that she has to remind Jesus, "Um, you're a Jew. Oh, and I'm a Samaritan. Like, almost like he forgot. I'm not sure how we think we are going to share the gospel in our community if we build barriers or maintain a labels or help remove dignity. She's like, you're a snobbish Jew who never speaks to us Samaritans. How can you ask me for water? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew, the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <laughs> Woo! This is good. This is good. And I just wanted to remind somebody, by the way, I don't know what you've heard, but Jesus is not a taker. Jesus is not a taker. Hear me. If he asks you to give him something, it's usually because he wants to give you something better. Hear me, Jesus is not a taker. If he asks you for something, it's usually he's making room for something better. I'm talking to somebody who's been wondering, how could Jesus ask me to let that thing go? How can Jesus ask me to give that thing up? I'm talking to a teenager who's saying, how could Jesus tell me not to enjoy this or not to experience this or not to experiment with this? If Jesus asks you for something, He's just fixing to give you something better. If you knew who was asking you for a little cup of water, you would have said, oh, well, while we're talking. And you would have asked. And Jesus said, I would have given you something much better. Living water. I wonder what Jesus might be trying to make room for in your life. But I like this lady. I don't know if I mentioned that. She is super sassy. Um, she's like, what you talking about, Jesus? Um, that's in, in the Greek. Um, I love if you go to school, like <laughs> Bible school, you can just make stuff up. Like, no, the Greek language there, uh, it means gift, condo, money. And so what you got to do <laughs> is just honor the Lord. Um, verse 11, she says, sir. Um, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. You don't have a life pump on you. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope, nothing. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, by the way, as did also his sons and his livestock? She's a practical thinker. She just calls Jesus out on the obvious. The thing about deep wells is they require buckets and some rope. How can you give me water without a bucket? Men. And their false promises. <laughs> or, are you claiming like you have some better water stashed somewhere? Are you saying you have better water than the water of my ancestors? Are you saying that because you're saying this water was good enough for them and good enough for their kids, but it's not good enough for you because you have some special water? She gets really like, what? Jesus is like, I just left the drama to get away from it. And here he is caught up in a pretty intensive conversation. This is awesome. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm just making an observation. Your ancestor's water is fine. It's just finite. It quenches thirst for a moment, and then the moment is gone, and the thirst comes rushing back. I'm just saying, your ancestor's water is it's, it's finite. No sooner have you gotten a drink out of the well... You get home and the Middle Eastern sun beats you down. And the thirst starts screaming again. And you have to make the trip back to this well to get some more water. And no sooner have you drank that water than you start to experience thirst again. And you have to make the trip back to this well. And you have worn a path between your house and this well back and forth and back and forth. I'm not dissing your ancestors' water. I'm just saying it's finite. Because here you are, back again. But if you knew who I was, you would know. I have a different kind of water. The quenchy kind. I have a brand of water that will continue to satisfy. Her immediate response makes sense. She's a practical woman. And Sister Sass over here gives the exact same response that I would give if Jesus said this to me, I think. She's like, ooh, give me some. Verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, (laughs) give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water over and over again because this is exhausting. If there's some way for you to do something to keep me from coming back to this well over and over and over again, please let me have some. I have worn this path, as you can see, between my house and this well, and I'm tired. I'm exhausted. If you can somehow instill a a hydration system or give me this special jar of water, whatever it is, I am so down with that. Which is amusing to me because she just turned on her ancestors just then. 
Are you saying you're better than my ancestors? Wait, you said what kind of water? Forget my ancestors. I want some of that. Give me that quenchy water. And then, this is where the Jesus twist comes in. The story just completely shifts from weird to straight awkward. Verse 16. He said to her, go call your husband and come back. What? Can you imagine? Again, how confused she is at this point. How did we go from quenchy water to my man all of a sudden? Oh, Jesus is super random sometimes. Come on, you know this. Like, Jesus, I thought we were working on this area of my life. And all of a sudden, I'm in, the, the, and, and, and I'm in Antarctica, like, having a conversation. How did this even happen? So random, this unexpected twist. And she's like, um, not that it's your business, but, verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. I know I'm right. I don't need you to tell me. Okay, maybe I'm making her out to be more sassy than she is. I don't know. Jesus is like, I agree with you. You have, <laughs> you have no husband. Um, and then as the kids say, Jesus just gets all up in her bid knit right here. Um, he says to her, you're right. But you ain't real. You're right. But you're not being completely real. Verse 18. The fact is. The real is. You've had five husbands. And the man you now have. Is not your husband. What you have just said. Is quite true. Woo. Just read her mail. And I I thought I'd just maybe pause for a real quick second to remind you. Jesus knows the R version of you. Jesus knows the real version of you. In case you've ever wondered. Come on, you know how we give each other edited Filtered versions of ourselves. That may be right. But we ain't real. Not real. We give tweaked versions. PG versions. Of ourselves. Yeah, I've been struggling with some things. You're right. But can we get real? What things? Mm Mm-mm. Nope. Let's just stay it right. Forget the real. Man, our marriage has been turbulent. Right? Want to get real about that? Mm-mm. You don't need to know what's been flying in our house. Okay? Man, finances have been rough. How rough? Just pray. Oh, Venmo. But... <laughs> Let's, let's not talk about this anymore. Most of us don't tell anyone 
the real version of what we really think and what we really feel and the depths to which we really struggle, we don't let people into that space. That is a deeply vulnerable space. I just want to remind you, Jesus knows the real. And I hope that when you talk to him, there's at least one place where you can just be real like, I hate her. She's your mom. I know. So do I. I know the real. But can we just sit in this space and talk real, which is what's happening here. I know the our version of you. I know you've been divorced five times. And that you're now shacking up with some dude who won't put a ring on it. I know. I know your heart's been shattered over and over and over again. And you're convinced that this dude will be different. I know. I know that you live with unspeakable shame. Which is why you are out here drawing water at noon. No one draws water at noon. People draw water in the morning. People draw water in the evening when it's cooler. No one faces the blistering Middle Eastern sun at noon to draw water unless you are hiding. I know you live with unspeakable shame. You would rather be beaten up by this heat than judged by the looks of those town people whispering and snickering in the background, laughing, calling you names. You know what they say about you. I know you. I know you live with unspeakable shame. I know. Jesus goes to the deepest places of her heart and tells her, oh, I know. Do you know how hard it is to sit in those real and raw moments, just even with yourself? Do you know how hard it is to sit with yourself and be like, I am so lonely right now? It is difficult to sit in those spaces, let alone to sit in those spaces with someone else. So it makes sense that she gets really, really uncomfortable. And you know what she tries to do? She tries to distract Jesus by changing the topic and actually starting a theological debate with him. Can we leave the real and get back to the right? Can we leave these deep places and get back to the surface where things are a little more, a little more comfortable? Forget about my man. Let's talk about, look at verse 25. Let's talk about the Messiah. I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain all this stuff to us. So don't worry about my man. Don't worry about all of this. The Messiah, one day, he's going to come and he will explain stuff to us. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, oh, (laughs) coincidence. (laughs) This is so good. I am actually the guy. (laughs) Oh, this is so good. Um. Jesus is like, I am he. She's like, try to avoid it, change the topic and talk about it. Let's talk about the Messiah. It's like, well, glad you brought that up because this is actually where this whole conversation was going. And since you brought it up, let me just tell you, I'm the Messiah. Um, this is so good. Um, and the craziest thing happens. She goes from arguing and sassing Jesus a little bit to believing he is the Messiah. To believing he is 
the Savior. Powerful, verse 28. It says, then leaving her, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, probably the people, she doesn't talk to very often. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Slight exaggeration. When you speak to the deepest parts of someone, it feels like you just read their whole world. Could this be the Messiah? It sounds like a question, but in the language, it's her saying, I think he's the Messiah. She believes that Jesus is the Savior in this short conversation. And one of the reasons I think she believes Jesus is the Messiah is because when you read verse 28, it says she left her jar. I'm like, wait, the whole purpose of your trip was to get some water from the well because you're thirsty. The whole conversation with this guy has been about quenchy water because you wanted some. But somehow you left all of that. Oh, yeah. I came for one thing, and I found something so much better, so I left it, and I went and told everybody else about it. And that, by the way, will happen for you when you run into Jesus, whatever you thought. You're about to get something infinitely better. She leaves the jar and heads to tell everyone. Ooh! You have to come and meet this man. And I can imagine they're like, oh, girl, a new man already? <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah. But he's the one. This is how Jesus shares the gospel with this woman. This is one of my favorite ways of sharing the gospel. Such a great template for sharing the gospel with the people in your world. If you're ever asking the question, how do you share the hope of Jesus with the people around? Talk about thirst. Talk about thirst. It's such an effective way to share it's what Jesus does here. He surfaces this woman's deepest thirst. And then he offers to quench it. That's a great way to share the gospel. Talk about thirst and point people to the only one who can ultimately quench it. Ooh, this is so good. Jesus says, I, listen, I'm not dissing your ancestors. I'm just saying, listen. Their water is finite, and it doesn't quench thirst for long. I have a kind of water that satisfies thirst. And she's like, that's so awesome, because I get thirsty. And Jesus is like, oh, I know. Girl, you thirsty. I know. But I'm really not talking about physical thirst. I'm talking about a deeper thirst. This well that you go back and forth to every day is just a picture of the way you live your life at the deepest level of who you are. So let's go there, girl, because you're thirsty. 
I am? Yes, you are. How thirsty? So thirsty that you've been married five times. And the guy you are living with right now is not your husband. There is a thirst so deep within you, a desperate longing for lasting satisfaction. Ooh, you're so thirsty. And when that deep thirst in you screams and reminds you about just how deep that thirst is, you know what you do? You get up and you run towards the well of the next man believing that he will somehow satisfy. And when that doesn't work, you run to the well of the next guy believing he's going to satisfy. And when that doesn't work, the thirst comes screaming back. You run to the next guy. No sooner have you all shacked up and gotten comfortable than the screaming returns and it starts singing at you. I can't get no. Google the rest of that song. Because I'm not singing anymore. It starts screaming in you. This relationship is no longer enough. It's no longer doing what I hoped it would do. This isn't, this isn't what I dreamed of. That this isn't meeting the deepest loneliness and the deepest longing of my soul. And you go after the next one. You're so thirsty. I'm not dissing your relationship. I'm just saying, maybe fine. But it's finite. These relationships leave you thirsty. I mean, here you are. Man number six. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of water that doesn't ultimately satisfy? But if you knew who was standing in front of you, if you knew the gift I offer, You would ask me, and I would do what no man has been able to do. Quench the deepest thirst. Because guess what? I'm the man. This is how Jesus shares hope with this woman at the well. By speaking to her deepest thirst and offering to satisfy. She's like, I'm in. And you notice she's not into physical water anymore. That's why she leaves the jar. It's not this. I I found somebody who spoke to the deepest parts of who I am. And she goes to share the wealth. Because when beggars find food, beggars got to know. And so she goes and shares it with everyone. She's found Jesus, the one who silences the screams of our deepest longings. I don't know what you know about Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is the only one who satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he hasn't just saved you. He has satisfied you. He's not just the one who saves us from our sin. He's the one who satisfies us within. And we need that because, come on, can we be honest? This lady is all of us. 
Because, ooh, you so thirsty. Honestly. And when that thirst within us screams, what do we do? We run to the well of the thing we believe will most satisfy us. And no sooner have we had a little binge, no sooner have we tasted it, no sooner have we experienced that thing, than the thirst returns and we have to go get another hit and we have to go get another hit and we've worn these paths between our lives and these finite wells. And that's why some of us, we cannot sit in in, in silence. Because if we sit in silence... I start to be reminded of the screaming emptiness. And so I've got to pick up my phone. I've got to turn on the music in my car. I've got to be distracted. Lest I be faced with this screaming. I've got to do something about it. We're so thirsty. And when I feel the screaming, man, I've got to post something on social. Because every like I get is like a little sip that maybe satisfies me. But how many likes are enough to satisfy? Well, last time it was 30, but now I need at least 40 because 30 is no longer enough. And we just make these paths towards these wells. Man, maybe if I play a little more of a video game, then it will distract me from what's really going on in the deepest part. And maybe that will satisfy. And you've been up all night. 45 in your mother's basement. Thirsty. Maybe this hookup will be the one. Because, ooh, this is the one. I know it. Maybe this glass of wine will do it. Maybe this glass of wine, okay, for real, maybe this glass of wine will do it, and it doesn't do it, but we keep going back and forth to these same places. And Jesus would ask us, aren't you tired? How's it working? Did you redecorate your house again? Yeah. I didn't like it. It's... So, took down a few walls and added a wing. Um, thirsty. Oh, maybe these shoes. Thirsty. Keep running to these ancient wells. The same ancient wells of our forefathers. The same ancient wells that our parents ran to and their parents before them. The same patterns. And we're arguing with Jesus. You're saying <laughs> you have something better than how my mama did it and how her mama did it and how my dad did it and his attempt to make money and his attempts to do. You're telling me you have something different than what our forefathers. I'm just saying that way is finite. It will only satisfy you for so long. And then it will leave you empty. If not emptier. Again, no sooner have you experienced it, the thirst deep within you will come screaming again. And the lie we continue to tell ourselves is maybe the next one. Maybe the better, maybe the next one. Maybe the next trip to the well. Which is how we get into these addictive patterns that we can't get out of. Maybe if I do a little more. Or if I'm a little more creative with the search I punch in this time then maybe. And Jesus would say to all, listen, it didn't work for your ancestors. 
it's not going to work for you. But if you knew (laughs) who was standing in front of you, you would lay down that bucket and you would ask me to do what nothing else has been able to do, satisfy the deepest places of your soul. The reason nothing works is because nothing can. Only Jesus. Sharing the gospel is about telling other thirsty people where satisfaction lies. John 7, 37 and 38 says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice. And I'm telling you, Jesus stands today and says this in a loud voice. Let anyone who is thirsty, there it is, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do you know how many opportunities you have to share the gospel when you speak to people's thirsts? As the team comes out, let me, let me share a couple of practical things. Number one, be attentive. Be attentive. If you pay attention, you will hear the thirst in the world of the people around you. And it's not going to sound like people saying, I'm thirsty. It's going to sound like things like disappointment. Man, I ran to the well of this job, and it's just it's not what I thought it was going to be. And it's left me feeling a little bit disappointed. Thirst is speaking. That is the great opportunity to help point people to Jesus. You know what we tend to do when somebody says, man, I'm thirsty. And, 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 and the, the last job didn't work. And the job before that didn't work. But, but, I mean, I've got my eye on this job. We're like, oh, yeah, for real, Disney's hiring. Maybe I can point you to another well. Which is fine to give people recommendations. But we sometimes miss the opportunity in there to say, hey, Can I point you to something that is more sure? Can I point you to something that will ultimately bring about satisfaction? That relationship didn't work. Oh, don't worry about it. Ooh, there's a new thing called Bumble. Girl, love on your terms, you know. And so we, instead of saying, can we just talk about, can we sit in this space of your thirst right now and talk about what's going on? We just point people to new wells. I'm so scared. Oh, yeah, don't. You've got nothing to be afraid about. Everything will be fine. It may not. The new job will work out great. It may not. Or the new relationship. He seems like a really nice. She seems like a really good girl. They may not be. But we have an opportunity to point people beyond that to the one who ultimately satisfies. And when this stuff starts to surface, it's an opportunity to to say things like, man, I'm with you. I'm definitely that person who's put a lot into relationships. And you know what I found? Which is why we married people need to be honest about it. You know what I found? Marriage doesn't satisfy. I thought it would. You get two thirsty people in the same house, you think that's a good idea for No, 
if these people are thirsty when they come in, they'll be thirsty when they're there. But if we're honest about it, we can start to say, you know, I, me too, the relationship thing. I, yeah, it just, I put so much in it and I thought that the next one would be the one. I thought that my wife would ultimately, but you know what I found? It wasn't actually marriage that did it. Can I point you to the one who satisfies? Or you hear people talk about their addiction. I keep doing these things that I know are hurting me and they're hurting my family. But I just, I, I just can't stop. I keep drinking. I keep using. I, I keep spending. Or I keep you know, holding on to the grudge or whatever it is. That's a great opportunity to say, man, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm so thankful for Jesus. He's the only one who can fill the places that I know I always want to run back to. We have an opportunity if we are attentive. And I would say be authentic. Um, Be authentic. Um, There is something powerful when we make sure that Jesus is actually enough for us. One of the reasons we don't share Jesus as the one who satisfies is because we maybe don't find him satisfying. We've gone back to running to broken wells that don't satisfy. And so it becomes difficult. And I'm telling you, I think Jesus is reinviting his church. Come back to me. Draw a well-worn path between your world and me as the source of your satisfaction. Stop running back to those other broken things. Come back to me. And as you find satisfaction in me, it becomes this authentic thing in which a satisfied customer can say to a thirsty person, let me tell you where you find ultimate satisfaction. But the question is, is Jesus enough for you? Then I'll say, be, be vulnerable. There is something powerful about sitting in that commonplace and letting people know, I thirst too. I thirst too. You're scared, me too. You feel lonely, Me too, which is why I love what Jesus does for me. But if we act like, oh, we got it all together and we're always just happy and blessed, hashtag. And so we're, no, we just need to be honest with people and say, I'm scared too. I'm scared for my kids too. And I struggle with that too. And yeah, I drink a little too much sometimes too. And can we just talk about this? We both need the same savior. Can I tell you where I go? And where I keep going. And it gives us an opportunity to point back to Jesus. This is one of our favorite ways to share the gospel with our kids. I don't know if they know that. But this is what we do on a regular basis with our kids. You know. It's, it's just addressing. But, but if I had a little more of this. I'm telling you no matter how much Fortnite time I give you. It's not going to be enough. But maybe if I have a few more, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it will never be enough. No matter how much, it will never be enough. There's only one who is enough. And so can we point you to the place where the deepest longings will ultimately be satisfied?